Well, good morning again, brothers and sisters. Um, here we go again, right? This is uh, kind of round two, as, is what Tim Stevens called it, round, round two. The government of Alberta is making dictates again about our, our worship service. I, I would think most of you are a little bit aware of that, although I think we've kind of learned to ignore that a little bit in our, in our day and time and town. They want to tell us who and how many and how we can gather to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're in a state of emergency, they say. Uh, new temporary measures have been enacted to reduce the transmission of COVID-19, they say. And they're telling us to get vaccinated for a, a virus that has a 99.99% of recovery and for which many of us have a natural immunity. And they'll even give us a hundred dollars and enter us into a lottery for a million dollars if we will get their vaccine. Now that money, by the way, comes out of our taxes that we get to pay to the government year after year. And so here's some of the new temporary measures that the province of Alberta has implemented on us. Businesses can choose if they want to implement the Restriction Exemption Program. Nice little name there, the Restriction Exemption Program. And if they do, their patrons can come in without limits, except that they have to wear a mask to cover their face. And so that's kind of businesses round one. In order to have the privilege to shop or eat in a restaurant indoors, all you have to do is show proof that you've been vaccinated or... You can pay, and I'm actually at least thankful for this, you can pay to have a PCR test done at your own expense. And this test that, 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 this is the test that produces all of the false negatives that we know about. And if you test negative, then you can eat and shop for three days with a mask on your face. And after three days, you will have to be retested again at your own expense if you want to shop or if you want to eat inside. Now, if a business does not choose to implement the restriction exemption program, that's no problem. They can still have one third of their building capacity and customers can, can only stick in that store together with their household members. No shopping with friends for the unvaccinated or untested people. No shopping with friends. Unless you live alone, then you can have two friends to go shopping with you. Or you can have no limits outside, so long as you don't come within two meters of a person from another household. Now, the situation is not as good for restaurants. If they don't implement the program, then no indoor dining permitted. No indoor dining. Outdoor dining is limited to six people per table from one household. And so your family can eat outside in Alberta winter by yourself. And if you are Phil's family or some of our families, then you're going to have to split up because that's not allowed outside in the winter because they might spread it around their house. Now, if a restaurant does implement the program, they can become the policing arm of the government and they can ensure that they only serve vaccinated or tested people. They can serve them indoors, but they probably need to wear a mask on their face from the time that they enter the building until they sit at their table. 
How about our social lives? What is the government mandated about who we are allowed to have into our own homes? Well, vaccinated people, good news for you, you're permitted to have one other household over for indoor private social gatherings so long as the guests are over 12 are vaccinated too. So vaccinated people can have vaccinated people over to their house. But unvaccinated people are not permitted to have indoor social gatherings at all. You are not permitted, if you haven't had that vaccine, you are not permitted to have any friends over at your house. This is right from the Alberta government website, uh, alberta.ca, COVID-19, bunch of other stuff. Indoor social gatherings are not permitted for vaccine-eligible people who are unvaccinated, end quote. Another quote, outdoor private social gatherings limited to a maximum of 200 people with two-meter physical distancing at all times. And so you are welcome, thank you, Jason Kenny. you are welcome to have people over outside if you didn't get vaccinated. Now let's see what they say about places of worship. That's what they call it, places of worship. Now we don't have a, a restriction exemption program for, for churches. And I, and I honestly, I am very glad about that. I'm glad because I think that there's many hireling shepherds in our country who would only be too willing to discriminate against the people under their care based on their vaccine status. And so by not allowing this, the, the government has, has kind of put a, a curb to what some of those hireling shepherds would do discriminate against people based on their vaccine status. The Bible calls it partiality. Partiality. In fact, I'll not be at all surprised, and and we'll see what happens in the next few weeks, but I would not be at all surprised if some of those hireling shepherds go to the government and ask permission so that they too, like the businesses, can join the restriction exemption program and exercise partiality against their congregations based on vaccine status. There's many false shepherds and and false churches, and they're happy to have the government tell them who they can minister to and how they can minister to them. There's, There's a lot of people like that in our country, as we have seen. And their allegiance is not to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's not to his bride, the church. And they will scatter the sheep rather than suffer for them. And such shepherds would rather feed themselves than feed the sheep. Christ has told us to go to all nations and peoples and to preach the gospel, and he is our head not the government. He didn't tell us to go only to healthy people. He didn't tell us to go only to vaccinated people or only to unvaccinated people. We are to go to all the nations and proclaim the gospel. But here's what the government's going to permit us to do. Quote, this is from their website again, quote, capacity limited to one-third fire code occupancy. Masks are mandatory Two meters physical distancing between households or two close contacts for those living alone. So one-third fire code capacity, masks are mandatory, two meters physical distancing between households. One-third of the church can gather so long as you're wearing a mask and you don't come near anyone from another household. That's what the government has implemented for us. We can 
worship Jesus Christ so long as we do it with a mask on. And what I think this comes down to is the, they're telling us that, that we can fear God and we can serve Him so long as we fear the culture's gods more than that and serve them. And that's really what they want from us, I believe. They, they want our fear. And if they can't have it from the virus itself, then they will have it from their enforcement measures. They want us to fear what they fear. But we Christians are to fear God and to fear Him alone. And we serve Him without fear. And we have even overcome the fear of death through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we are not afraid of what the world is afraid of. Because God has shown us to fear Him and to serve Him alone. Now we've talked about the virus before and and I'm not really going to say much about it today. I don't want to say much about it. But I just felt like I need to give you some stats that supposedly justify these measures. So here's a little bit of of statistics again for you. So far in Alberta, 277,558 people that the government knows about have had COVID. Now that's 277,000 out of 4.421 million. And that's point. 0.6% of the population has had COVID. Now, of those people, then 2,523 people died. 2,523 people died. That's 0.00057 of the population. And so if somebody catches COVID, including even the sickest person, they have a 0.009% chance of dying. Or to kind of put it, The other way, that's a 99.99% chance of surviving COVID. That's 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 from the government's own stats right on the very front page information of COVID-19. Are you kidding me? 99.99% chance of surviving COVID? And again, that's right from alberta.ca slash coronavirus info for Albertans accessed yesterday. From the same source, we're told that 215 people are in intensive care. Now, Alberta has, at least at this moment, 130, sorry, 322 ICU beds. Now, the amount of people in intensive care is, is concerning and it's, it's fairly high. But if you, if we kind of break that out a little bit more, that means there's, there's two patients with COVID per hospital in this province. Two patients with COVID in intensive care per hospital in the province. Now, sickness is sad and, and death is sad, but, but we know why sickness and death are in this world. Ultimately, sickness and death are here because of man's sin. And until Christ returns and establishes his kingdom, sin and death will remain on the earth. Sickness will remain on the earth. And so they're, 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 they're trying to stop what God has put in place. Now, trying to stop sickness the way the world is doing it right now, you know what that reminds me of? It actually reminds me of what they tried to do at the Tower of Babel. You remember the, the Tower of Babel? They were going to build a tower so high that they could get into heaven. And I feel like the world is, is trying to control sickness right now 
in a, a prideful way, just like they tried to control getting into heaven through the Tower of Babel. We cannot control sickness, and the pride of trying to do so will end in judgment. And what our government is doing right now to, to reduce the transmission is, is doing more harm than good. And that's according even to their own data. The government's own data about the, the damages done financially and even, even psychologically and, and what's happening in this world with all the suicides and things like that that are happening right now, the government's own data says it's doing more harm than good. Which makes you wonder, what, what is this all about? What is this really all about? And that's a question that I don't know that we can answer. Is it part of a globalist agenda to take away our freedoms and control us? Is it, is it about just simply controlling the population? I don't know. I, I don't know what it's about. They're going to tell me it's about stopping the sickness. But it's hard to know what it's all about. And, and I asked my, my pastor friends across Canada, pastors that have stayed open this past year, what, what do you guys think this is all about? And one of them said that he's been saying publicly, he said he has his own suspicions. He didn't tell me what those were, but he said he's been saying publicly that it's about something very dark. And we get that. We get that, don't we? Because we understand that behind the world system, Satan is working his evil plan. And his goal is to murder, kill, and destroy God's people and, and really all people. But God permits Satan's work for now, and he even uses Satan works, Satan's work as part of his good plan. God condemns the evil, but he uses it to further his purposes. And all that to get to this, what the government is doing under the name of protecting us from COVID is evil. I believe that. I believe that it is evil. I believe that these lockdowns are unjust, unsafe, and unrighteous. They are wicked. And behind it all, if we could, if we could somehow pull the curtain back on everything that's going on, I think we would see Satan behind it all. What the government is doing to our country is therefore satanic. And that's about as strong as I can put it. Now, I said it last year, and I'm going to say it again now. This is tyranny. This is tyranny. Tyranny is, this is the, the Oxford English Dictionary, tyranny is cruel and oppressive government rule. Cruel and oppressive government rule. It's cruel, unreasonable, or arbitrary use of power or control. And when the government is seeking to coerce us to get a medical treatment, in this case a vaccine, a vaccine that we haven't even had time to see the long-term results of, for a sickness that is 99.99% survivable, and the whole thing is supported by a government-run media machine with, with no open discussion permitted and, and numbers and data are being presented without proper context, we're dealing with unreasonable and arbitrary use of power. Especially when there's no consideration of natural immunity, which is better than vaccine immunity, at least historically speaking. And add to, add to that what's happening in Israel. I'm not sure if you're aware of Israel, but Israel is one of the most vaccinated countries in the world. 
Israel right now considers double-vaxxed people unvaxxed because they didn't get the booster shot. Now, I don't even know how many boosters they're on right now. Some of you are probably more aware of this than me, but if you have two vaxes, which would be vaccinated in Canada, you are unvaxxed in Israel, and it's time for another booster shot. But Israel also, at the same time, has some of the highest COVID rates in the world right now. And so why are they pressuring us to get a vaccine that doesn't stop COVID? Why are they not being open about the numbers? And again, the why is hard to get to, but we do know that one day our Lord will expose everything for what it is. One day the truth will be known. And another thing that we know is that none of this is supported by the Nuremberg Code. I don't know if you guys have heard about the Nuremberg Code, but Nuremberg Code was written in 1947 after the trial of the, or even during the trial of the doctors who experimented on Jews and and some other people in Nazi Germany. And the Nuremberg Code says, the number one, it says this, number one, the voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. They're talking about when we do a, a medical treatment on somebody, the voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. This means that the person involved should have legal capacity to give consent, should be so situated as to be able to exercise free power of choice without the intervention of any element of force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreaching, or other ulterior form of constraint or coercion, and should have sufficient knowledge and comprehension of the elements of the subject matter involved as to enable him to make an understanding and enlightened decision. Now the government is going to say that these vaccines have been approved by Health Canada, and so they aren't experimenting on us. Well, fine, that's, I think that's fine. But they're still coercing Albertans to get a vaccine for something that we don't have sufficient, sufficient knowledge of, and where the, the degree of risk, again, is 0.009%. The, d- the degree of the risk of death. The Nuremberg Code also says number six of, of those things. It says, quote, the degree of risk to be taken should never exceed that determined by the humanitarian importance of the problem to be solved by the experiment. And so I'm looking at the statistics of COVID and I'm saying 99.99, that sounds pretty good to me. I'll take that over a vaccine. Now, if you want to get a vaccine, I, that, that's totally fine with me. I have no problem. I, I, and in fact, I would say, brothers and sisters, we need to, to minister to people whether they're vaccinated or unvaccinated. We should not show partiality either way on this thing. But the fact that we are being coerced and pressured and, and bribed and, uh, you know, entered into a lottery to, in order to get this thing, when Historically speaking, if you've had natural immunity, there is no need for it. I think it's wrong. So let me ask this is, is the title of this sermon is how to respond when tyrants rule. And so the question here is, is Jason Kenney, is Dan Williams, are, are Justin Trudeau tyrants? Well, at least I would say that they are enacting tyrannical laws. 
Justin Trudeau, I, I might even go so far as to say that he, I see him as a tyrant. I see him propagating his globalist agenda that he even said, this is a, a great opportunity. Remember that? This is a great opportunity to exercise our pre-pandemic plans for a great reset. He just said that openly to the world. Is Jason Kenney a tyrant? Well, he's, he's implementing tyrannical laws. We're facing tyrannical dictates that are threatening both our worship and our livelihoods. And so what we need to know is how to live under this tyranny. And that's what I want to focus on for the rest of our time. And we're going to um, look at Psalm 94 on, on Thursday morning after, uh, after the announcement by Jason Kenny. I, I just read through the Psalms and was reminded of Psalm 94, which is often a, a, a passage that I go to for encouragement. Psalm 94, 18 says this, when, when I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. And when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Or the New American Standard says, they delight my soul. When, the, when there's a multitude of anxious thoughts within me, your consolations delight my soul. And so that's a, a passage that I often turn to for encouragement. But as I read the psalm this week in context, I began to see that the cares of the psalmist's heart were because of tyrannical rulers. And the dictates of the rulers were, the, the, the dictates of the rulers, they, they made laws, and God's people were suffering because of those laws. And so let's read this psalm together. If you haven't already, open your Bibles to Psalm 94. Open your Bibles to Psalm 94, and we're going to look at the whole thing this morning. Verse 1 says, O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people. Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from days of trouble, until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul soon, my soul would have soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. 
When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute, they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. Now this is a larger portion of Scripture than we often cover, but I think we'll be able to do it if we don't get bogged down in every detail. The psalmist here is concerned with the injustice that he sees in the world. He's concerned with the injustice that he sees, and he calls upon the God of vengeance, verse 1. According to verse 2, he wants the judge of all the earth to repay the proud what they deserve. In verse 5, he says, They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner. They murder the fatherless. According to verse 15, the psalmist is concerned with justice. Justice is not with the righteous currently, but he's hopeful that justice will return to the righteous. And according to verse 16, the psalmist stands almost alone. He says, who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against the evildoers? And so he is alone against the injustice. And if you look at verse 20, look what he says there. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute, they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. And here in verse 20 and 21, we see very clearly the psalmist's concern. Wicked rulers who frame injustice by statute. The New American Standard Bible translates uh, wicked rulers more literally as a throne of destruction. A throne of destruction which, which forms by decree or, or trouble by statute. They form mischief by decree or they form trouble by statute. That's the Legacy Standard Bible. And the idea here is that, that these wicked rulers are making unjust laws. They're making unjust laws and they're using the justice system to promote injustice. So they're making wicked laws. They're making, they're using the justice system to promote injustice. And they're working in collaboration with, with others to do it. Verse 21 again, they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. Now, when I was reading through the commentaries on this psalm, I was surprised at, at just exactly how applicable this is to our current situation. And, and just so that, that you don't think that I'm stretching this text, I just want to read to you what some of the commentary said about these rulers, about these tyrants, about the people the psalmist is talking about. And so Derek Kidner, he said this quote, he said, the tyrants are not necessarily foreign. They may be equally homeborn, like the apostate king Manasseh or the cynics of Isaiah 5, 18 and following. And so he calls them the tyrants. And he says they're very similar to those of Isaiah 5 and verse 18 and, and, and the following verses there. So let me just read to you 
Isaiah 5.18, it says, Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes. And so they're, they're drawing up iniquity and they're, they're doing it, they're using falsehood to do their deeds. Verse 20 there says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And then verse 22 and 23 say, Woe to those who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Woe to those who deprive the innocent of his right. Well, that was Derek Kidner. Alan Ross describes Psalm 9420 this way. He says, literally, a throne of destructions. The word throne being figurative for the one ruling. He says the genitive destructions could be classified as objective, a throne that brings destruction. So a, a ruler that's bringing destructions is what, what he's saying, verse 20 is talking about. And then he says this, he says, quote, these enemies have been oppressing and destroying righteous and vulnerable people. Moreover, their destructive reign carries out trouble by decree, probably indicating that the regime makes decrees that oppress the people and deprive them of their livelihood, end quote. That sounds just so similar to what's going on today. The regime makes decrees that oppress the people and deprive them of their livelihood. And later on, he calls it wicked oppression and corrupt government. Now, Charles Spurgeon was even more bold, and he talks about wicked oppressors, and he uses the word tyrants multiple times. He speaks of their oppressions. And then he says on verse 20, and he quotes the text here, he says, Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee? And Spurgeon goes on and he says, Such thrones there are, and they plead a right divine. But their claim is groundless, a fraud upon mankind and a blasphemy of heaven. God enters into no alliance with unjust authority. He gives no sanction to unrighteous legislation. And then he talks about this next section, which frameth mischief by a law. He's just quoting the text that he has there, which frameth mischief by a law. And he says this about that. He says, they legalize robbery and violence and then plead that it is the law of the land. And so indeed it may be, but it is a wickedness for all that. With great care, men prepare enactments intended to put down all protests so as to render wrongdoing a permanent institution but one element is necessary to true conservatism, uh, visibly righteousness. And lacking that, lacking righteousness, all their arrangements, all their arrangements of the holders of power must come to an end, and all their decrees must in process of time be wiped out of the statute book. Nothing can last forever but impartial right. No injustice can be permanent, for God will not set his seal upon it, nor have any fellowship with it, and therefore down it must come, and happy shall be the day which sees its fall. End quote. And then Spurgeon goes on to talk about the next part. They gather together, they gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous, and he says this, he says, so many are there of them that they crowd their assemblies. They carry their hard measures with enthusiasm. They are the popular party and are eager to put down the saints. In council and in action, they are unanimous. Their one resolve is to hold their own tyrannical position. 
and put down the godly party and condemn the innocent blood. They are a great, they are great at slander and false accusation, nor do they stick at murder. No crime is too great for them if only they can trample on the servants of the Lord. This description is historically true in re- reference to persecuting times. He says it has been fulfilled in England and he goes on to say the, the dominant sect has the law on its side. The law which establishes and endows one religion rather than another is radically an injustice. And I think that's what we're really dealing with here. If you think about it, we're battling against an ideology. We could call it the, and I've seen it called a, a religion of safism. We're battling against a religion of safism, and safism has become the law of the land. Well, Spurgeon goes on and he says, What evil times are in store for us, it is not for us to prophesy. It is ours to leave the matter in the hands of him who cannot be in fellowship with an oppressive system and will not always endure to be insulted to his face. End quote. And so hopefully from those you can see that that's, that's right in line with what we're talking about today. And that's what the, the commentators on, on this psalm before our day thought about these rulers and what the psalmist was talking about. And so the question for us then as we come to this text is how do we respond to these times according to Psalm 94? What does Psalm 94 tell us about how to respond when tyrants rule? And what we're going to see is five ways. Five ways to respond when tyrants rule. I'll give them to you now and then we'll, we'll look at them in more detail. First of all, the first way to respond when tyrants rule is we pray to the God of vengeance in verses 1 to 7. And so we're called to pray. Secondly, we'll see the, that we're to call the tyrants to repentance in verses 8 to 11. And then we're to learn, in the midst of this situation, we're to learn to rest in the Lord in verses 15 or 12 to 15. And we're to look to the Lord, our only help, in verses 16 to 19. And then we're to remember who the Lord is with in verses 20 to 23, or, or, or know who the Lord is with. And so we're going to follow the example of the tyrant, of the psalmist. He was under a tyrannical regime, and this is what he wrote. This is his prayer. This is his worship in the midst of that situation. And so first of all, let's follow the example of the psalmist, and he prays to the God of vengeance. And so number one in your outline, pray to the God of vengeance. He says in verse one, O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, repay to the proud what they deserve. The psalmist calls on Yahweh, the God of vengeance, the judge of the earth. You see, our God is by nature a just God, and he repays wickedness with what it deserves. That's who God is. Now that same word for vengeance is used in Deuteronomy 32.34. Deuteronomy 32, 34 has the word in a, a male form. Our, our text has it in a female form, but it's really the same word. Deuteronomy 32, 34 says this, and it's the, it's the Lord speaking, it's Yahweh speaking. He says this, Is not this laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine and recompense For the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, 
and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone. And so vengeance belongs with the Lord. And so when injustice is happening and when unjust laws crush innocent people, we are to pray to God whose character is to give the wicked what they deserve and to bring the calamity that they planned for us on their own heads. And all the psalmist then does in his prayer is is point out to the Lord what the wicked rulers are doing. And so he asks in verse 3, how long is this going to go on? O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exalt? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. And so the psalmist says they're, they're proud, they're arrogant, they're wicked, they're evildoers, they, they boast. And a lot of that is just simply evil speaking, proud words, which, which rulers and leaders are prone to do. But also they do evil, they're evildoers. Look what they do according to verse 5. Verse 5 says, They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. The, the weakest of society are feeling the effects of these unjust laws in the greatest ways. Well, how do they do these things? Well, mostly it would seem by making laws that hurt God's people. God's people are his heritage. They're his possession. And so when laws are enacted that crush his people and afflict them, God takes notice. Now, I would not go so far as to say that that vaccine mandates are killing and murdering. But I have heard reports of serious harm, including even death. Far more than by all other vaccines before this one or these ones. And if the vaccines are doing harm and, and, and you're playing a role in forcing people to take it, whether by enforcing government regulations or making those regulations or, or standing by while those making and forcing the regulations are doing their thing, you are culpable for that harm. And so we're to pray when we see this going on in our society, when we see the lockdowns and the damage, we're to pray and say, Oh God of vengeance, look at what they are doing to your people. Look at what they are doing to your country, to this country. They're forcing a medical treatment on the weakest, the widow, the fatherless. The children are wearing masks. Some are dying. Some are killing themselves. They're permanently damaged from the side effects of this vaccine. Lord, notice what's going on in the world. And by praying this way, we're, we're leaving vengeance in God's hands. We're to trust justice to God. We're not to take it into our own hands. That's his role and his alone. But we pray to him and we call to him and we recognize that he is a just judge of the earth. Now look at verse 7. The the wicked have another characteristic. And they do what they do with no thought of God. Verse 7, and they say, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. They think God takes no notice. And they even dare to declare their belief that God takes no notice of their actions. And so, brothers and sisters, if you're feeling the loss of your freedoms and the the strong arm of the government is heavy on your heart, and you're seeing the crushing of God's people and the harm to the lowest level of society, 
then make your complaint known to God. He is the God of vengeance. He is the one, the only one that can do anything about the situation. And he cares about the widow, the sojourner, the fatherless. He cares about his people. He cares about the pastors that shepherd his flock that may now have to go to jail again. And ask him to rise up. Ask him to shine forth as though all it would take is a a shining forth of God. Just a moment of his power and glory to be shown. And he could put a stop to all of this. And so we're to call out to him. He is the God of vengeance. And ask him to give the proud what they deserve. Now next the psalmist turns from speaking to the Lord... And he speaks with or to the wicked rulers. And we see this in verses 8 to 11. Call the tyrants to repentance. That's the second thing that we're to do when tyrants rule, when we're under a tyrannical regime. Call the tyrants to repentance. And this is the most merciful thing that we can do. And here I think is where, where many of us have failed. You know, we Christians, we, we do, we want to submit to the government and we should, but we're also called to speak the truth to government. And we see it even in this Psalm. We're to speak truth to the government. Government leaders who make tyrannical laws should be rebuked for their unjust policies. They should be warned that they are guilty before God for the harm that their laws cause. And they should be told that God sees, that he hears, and that he knows what they are doing. And if they don't repent, they will face the judge of all the earth. And so the psalmist says in verse 8, Understand, O dullest of the people. He doesn't even hold back any punches. Oh, the dullest of the people. Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are but a breath. And so the psalmist commands them to understand. And he doesn't soften his words. He calls them fools. He calls them, O dullest of people. And he tells them that God sees, that he hears, that he rebukes, and that he knows their thoughts. And he knows the excuses that men use to pass the blame. And, and those excuses have no impact on God. And we've seen that through this whole thing. For example, the government says, we don't enforce the laws, we just make them. And the enforcers say, we don't make the laws, we're just doing our job. And the business owners say, I don't like it, but if I don't discriminate based on personal medical status, then I can't stay open. And the health department says, if I speak against the establishment, I'll be vilified. And, and on and on it goes as we make excuses for, for being complicit in a sinful thing that's going on in this world. And we need to put an end to that. And we need to call people to repentance for their, their culpability in, in propagating this wickedness that's going on in our nation. God will, will, knows the heart. He sees everything that's going on. And none of these excuses have any impact on his justice. God will judge each person justly based on what was right and based on the opportunity that they had to make a difference. And he knows men's thoughts. He knows the hearts of men. That word translated there, breath, 
where it talks about um, the, the, their thoughts are, are but a breath in verse 11. That word translated there, breath, means vanity. It means smoke. It means vapor. Men think vainly that, that they can justify their sins, but when they stand before God, they will realize differently. And so although they, they might never hear this, I, I feel the need in this moment to call Justin Trudeau to repent. Mr. Trudeau, God hears and sees and knows your sin. Your unrighteous leadership is leading our country into judgment, and your unrighteous leadership itself is a judgment on our country. Jason Kenney, you need to repent for making laws that resulted in the persecution and arrest of pastors in Alberta. You did it once and you're doing it again and it is wicked sin uh, and the Lord sees and knows the thoughts and pressures and everything that you are doing in this country. Now when it comes to Mr. Dan Williams, I, I, I don't even know what to say. I know that he's worked hard to protect and represent and defend our community, but he's also part of Kenny's government. And it's a serious thing, and, and this is really for all of us, it's a serious thing to play a role in a regime that harasses God's people and threatens them for coming of their own will to a worship service. And it's a sin to, to even be complicit in the actions that promote that law. And God will avenge every injustice done to his people. From the harshest treatment down to the smallest tear shed, even the least fear that they face for serving God, God will avenge everything that his saints endure. And the only escape from the justice of God is to fly to Jesus Christ for mercy. He and he alone can forgive your sins. He alone can cleanse you and make you right before God. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to call the world to repentance. That's what the psalmist did in the psalm. He calls them to turn from their sins. And we also need to be those who call people to turn from sin. Now, the third way to respond to tyrants, or the third way to respond when tyrants rule, is number three. We need to learn to rest in the Lord. And this is really important for us. This is, this is good for us. We need to learn to rest in the Lord. When the world comes against us and injustice is on the throne, God teaches us in the school of peace. And he teaches us to rest in him. Look at verse 12. The psalmist turns now. He's looked at the Lord. He's talked to him. He's talked to the, the wicked rulers. And now he, he almost talks to himself or, or to us. And he says, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your laws. In trials and difficulties, there's a blessing for the Christian. And we need to know this and we need to believe it. What the government does for their own reasons and what, what Satan is doing for his reasons to steal, kill, and destroy, God turns into a blessed discipline and a blessed learning opportunity for his saints. And so there's a double blessing here, discipline and teaching. And those two really go hand in hand. In the midst of the discipline, God teaches us his word in new ways. And we learn to apply it in, in deeper ways. And he uses the pressure of the circumstances to reveal our hearts and our sins and where our hearts are really at. Do you know the blessing of the Lord's discipline? 
And if you think about it, haven't, haven't you grown more this year through the trials that have, we've endured? Haven't you grown more this year maybe than any other year? And hasn't the word come more alive to your heart than at any other time? And so these, these difficulties in, in conjunction with the word of God are, are really a blessing in our lives. And they're, that God is using them to make us grow and be more like Christ. And I know in my own life, I, I could testify to this, that, that I have grown more and I have learned the, the, the anxious thoughts of my heart and learned even more to be at peace than ever before. And I'm looking forward to more, honestly, I'm looking forward to more growth this year as the government brings these things upon us. Now look at the purpose of the, of this, this twofold blessing in verse 13. It's to give him rest from days of trouble. To give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. The Legacy Standard Bible translates verse 13 that you may grant him calm from the days of calamity until a pit is dug for the wicked. That word translated rest or calm means to, to give peace. And the Lord teaches us to trust Him more and to have the peace that surpasses all understanding, Philippians 4-7. We can be at peace even in these evil days. And through these evil days, we will learn peace in the school of God's loving discipline. Verse 14 reminds us that the Lord will not forsake his people and he will not abandon his heritage for justice will return to the righteous and all the upright in heart will follow it. What a blessed promise and reminder to us here. He will not forsake us. He will not abandon us. Verse 15 seems to mean that the righteous are, are currently without justice, but it will return. Or it could be that the judgment will return to righteousness. The judgment of the land will return to righteousness. And we know that ultimately God will right all wrongs. And He will judge wickedness and His people will be made perfectly righteous. And until then, until that day, a pit is being dug for the wicked. And we must learn to rest in the God of peace until his ultimate purpose is fulfilled in this world. And to do that, we need to look to God and to him alone as our help. And that's number four in our outline. Look to the Lord, our only help. Number four, look to the Lord, our only help. In verse 16, we see that the, the psalmist doesn't have much support from others. He doesn't have much help. He says, who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? And the answer seems to be that, that no one does, that he, he seems to stand alone. Now we have each other and we even have other churches, but for the most part, we, we do stand alone. And, I, and honestly, I, I don't expect much help in this stand that we're taking. I expect the dominant party, the, 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 they've gathered together against the, the Lord's people and there's going to be a, a multitude of people against us in this thing. And there are not many will, might, it could be that not many will stand with us. I'm thankful for those who, who are and who do, but Jesus bought the church with his precious blood. But many today would rather let the church bleed than stand against the wicked. 
But with God, one is a majority. And when we stand alone, we learn to trust the Lord more fully. And so the psalmist, recognizing that he has really no one else, he says in verse 17, If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. I think he means he's gonna, he would have died. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Our psalmist looked to the Lord for help, and, and so must we. When he thought that he would slip, it was, it was right then that the Lord's love held him up. And this is his loyal, covenant, faithful love. This is the Hebrew word chesed, which means loyal, covenant love. God will guard his covenant people. And if, if Jesus died for you while you were in your sins, how much more will he hold you up now that you are his? And notice the timing of the Lord here. It's right when we think that we're about to fall that his steadfast love held the psalmist up. And it will be the same for us. Right at the right moment, the Lord will empower us and strengthen us and give us what we need. In verse 19, he says, when the cares of my heart are many. And the picture of that many there, that multiple, is like a, like a bush with the, all the little branches and all the little, the, the little leaves kind of every way, all these little tiny branches of a bush. There's so many of them. And the, and the psalmist is almost overwhelmed with the cares of his heart. But when the cares of his heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. The New American Standard Bible translates that when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. And in the midst of many multiple anxious thoughts, the consolations, and, and note the plural there, it's, it's multiple consolations. Those consolations of the Lord, they cheer or delight the soul. And so we could ask, what are these consolations? Well, it's anything that comforts us in trials. It's our relationship with God and knowing Him and His attributes, knowing His promises, knowing His ultimate plan for the world to overcome. It's seeing Him work in providence and, and orchestrating things for His glory. Those are the kinds of things that, that, that console us and delight our soul. Note the psalmist says they, they cheer His soul, they delight His soul. And I, I just loved what Charles Spurgeon said on this. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, quote, It had been a great matter to have said, they satisfy my soul, or they quiet me, but, but more, no more but so. So it would have been a great thing if it just satisfied his soul or, or quiet his, his soul, and, and that was kind of the extent of it. But he says, That is the highest pitch which a perplexed spirit can wish to itself. Those which are in great pain, they would be glad if they might have but ease. They cannot aspire so high as pleasure and delight. This is more than can be expected by them. But see here how the, the notable efficacy of the divine comforts. They do not only pacify the mind, but they joy it. They do not only satisfy it, but ravish it. They not only quiet, but delight it. They, thy comforts delight my soul. That is, not only take away the present grief, but likewise put in the room the place of the most unspeakable comfort and consolation. As the sun does not only dispel darkness, but likewise brings in a glorious light 
in the stead of it, end quote. And so that's a great verse to remember in difficulties. Now, number five, when tyrants rule, we need to respond knowing who the Lord is with. And so number five in your outline, remember who the Lord is with. Verses 20 to 23, can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute, they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their inequity and wipe wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. The question of verse 20 invites a no answer. Of course, the Lord is not allied with wicked rulers. They are against the righteous and the innocent, and and the Lord is for the righteous and the innocent. The psalmist will take refuge in the Lord, and that's what we must do as well. He is our stronghold. He is the place of our refuge and our security. He is the rock. He's our protector. He's our provider. Verse 23 is a frightening threat to the wicked rulers. And a great encouragement, on the other hand, to the righteous. He will bring back on them the iniquity, their iniquity, and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. This will happen perhaps in our time, but definitely when Christ returns, this will happen. The Lord will wipe away all wickedness and establish His righteous kingdom And so it's a final warning that the psalm ends on to the oppressors. Your iniquity will be the cause of your own destruction. And so it's implied then to turn to righteousness before it's too late. You might stand together with a multitude of proud supporters, but you are standing against God. His people are crying out to Him, praying for justice, reminding Him of what you are doing. We are calling you to repentance. And we're resting in the Lord. In the meantime, we're learning to 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 rest. We're looking to Him for help and we remember that He is with us. He is our stronghold. He is the rock of our refuge. And so brothers and sisters, this is how we respond to tyranny. Let's pray. Seems appropriate, Lord, to even just pray this psalm again in your presence here, O Lord, go God of vengeance. O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, repay to the proud what they deserve. How long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. Father, they crush your people, O Lord. They afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. They say that that you don't see, but we know, Father, that you do see. And so we pray for justice in our country. We pray that you would turn many from wickedness to righteousness. And we pray, Father, that you would help us, your people, to be blessed by the discipline that we experience in this time. We pray that you would teach us out of your law to give us rest in these days of trouble, 
until the pit is dug for the wicked, until you accomplish your ultimate plan, until you return, Lord, be our help, be our refuge, be our strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.